Hello, my name is Sergio Moreau. I am co-founder of Rebel Method, a community of founders creating a better world, and your host of the Blockchain Talks podcast, where we will be bringing you the latest from experts and innovators in the field that are talking about blockchain and blockchain applications. And this next episode is from the Blockchain Explorer event presented by MetaX, hosted at the Microsoft Conference Center in February 2018, talking about unlocking blockchain for digital advertising. And the next panel was talking about women in blockchain with representatives from Bloomberg, The New York Times, Team Block Society, and MetaX. Annie Vasa is our moderator. Very kind to come uh, from Bloomberg. We'll walk through what she's up to, what she's doing, and, and how it applies to our world. Uh, good friend, Susan, who we kept calling out from the New York Times. <laughs> so she'll talk about what she's up to at the New York Times. Just a baby, still on maternity leave, but she's here. So, rock star. And then Yasmin Drummond has a really cool company. I talked to her on the phone. Um, and she gave me advice as well. So I won't steal your thunder and I'll, let's walk through what you guys are up to, but I'm on the panel too, but I'll be quiet now. Take it away. So uh, thanks everyone for coming. We're gonna be talking about women in blockchain and particularly um, taking case studies of two different fields. So blockchain, women in blockchain um, in advertising and also in retail. So the first question I wanted to kick off with for our panelists is basically, can you walk us through how you encounter blockchain in your daily career? Yasmin, you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, okay. So we have a syndicate um, where we co-invest. Um, we do due diligence together as a group. So we look at teams of ICOs, um, look at who their advisors are, talk to their advisors, make sure that they're also investors. There's a lot to do um, when you're investing in ICOs, so we work together and do that. We also find um, women founders and help get them up to speed. Um, and this is all in blockchain and crypto. And we also host hackathons um, where we target women engineers, um, Solidity developers. We're kind of looking at NEO right now as well um, for the Chinese market. So that's pretty much the top ways. Yeah. Cool. Susan? So I work for the New York Times. I run ad operations, uh, which includes programmatic. And we don't specifically work in blockchain yet, but um, I'm very concerned about helping to reduce fraud in the ad market. Obviously, as you heard from the previous panel, it's a tremendous problem for the New York Times, particularly. We are probably one of the most, if not the most. I'm just going to turn on your mic. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that. oh wow, much louder now. <laughs> um, so you know, we're obviously very invested in cleaning up. The, the ecosystem, and I also believe that you know, as the New York Times, we have a, a responsibility to look at technologies and help the marketplace move forward in a really positive way. So that's that's my involvement. Hi all. <laughs> my name is Samantha Zirkin. I'm the CEO of Point Ninety Three. Um, we uh, we drive profit and optimize operations for the five trillion dollar global retail industry. This includes clothing home goods, unique accessories, and electronics, both on and offline. Um, we use blockchain in two ways. Um, we focus on self-sovereign uh, self blockchain identities. We're going to give all of you a universal customer-facing um, profile using the blockchain. And we use smart contracts. You guys know who I am, but Ciro, MetaX, hi. Yeah. 
So one question I wanted to open up with is just very general. What is the state of gender diversity or lack thereof in blockchain uh, right now? And how did we get here? Um, Yasmin, since you invest in you know, female-focused companies, uh, why don't you uh, kick it off? Sure. Um, so when I started looking at decks for ICOs, every pitch deck was all men. Um, the team was all men, the investors were all men, the advisors were all men. Um, pretty much anywhere you looked, you couldn't find women. And then eventually, once they raised their ICO, they'd maybe hire women in marketing or HR. Um, and so it hasn't been until recently that we just finally started seeing women-led ICOs, and there's only a couple. Um, Bank or Galia, she's part of our organization, which is called Block Society. So we tried to find all the top women that do exist in the world that have done ICOs, um, and investors who have you know, gotten good gains and have done well with investing in crypto and blockchain projects. And we think we know most of them, um, but we're still looking for the others. But it's very small, it's about 5%. Um, are women, and especially at conferences. Every conference I go to, I'm often one of the only women in the whole room, um, often the only one that's invested in ICOs. Sometimes I'm the only person that's invested in ICOs at a conference full of men, which is interesting. Um, blockchain conference. So, yeah, I just find that women often we undersell ourselves, and men tend to oversell a little bit. Um, so you have to really search for the women, because they won't be like raising their hands. You have to really find them. So. Yeah, I can definitely relate to having been at conferences that seem so male-dominated in the crypto space. Um, Alana, anything to add to that landscape? So I just joined the crypto space a couple of months ago. I guess it's six months now. Um, I will say that my first entree into the crypto space was, was, was Ethereal in SF. And so in Ethereal, it actually was diverse. And Amanda did a great job of of kind of making it 50-50. So I'm like, oh, this is a great space, this is amazing. So yes, yes, you know, it'll be diverse and amazing and great. And then I was at X conference, I'm like, there's no women here. Shit, what happened? Where's Amanda? Um, so I think that for me, the responsibility is to make sure that we keep things diverse. I went to, in Davos, there was a, um, let's call it Seneca Women. It's a bunch of women who created this amazing, um, group and they foster and mentor and what they say is the excuse always is you can't find a woman just they don't exist we can't find them so like we'll just you know do status quo but there's always someone out there that's trying to change the world and find them sure and um, Samantha have you encountered since you're intimately kind of linked to blockchain in your business have you found in retail that there are more women yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one to deliver the good news. Um, so we were both at the same conference, and it was super diverse. It was great. And I felt like Davos was really diverse, too. Um, so um, I've had just a different experience, I guess. I think most of the women, I have three children. After work, I go home and feed my kids. Um, I think that we're there. I really do. Um, so I'm going to read you some fun stats. Um, 352 members, um, uh, sorry, Women of Blockchain Telegram, 352 members. 618 in women in blockchain on Facebook, women in crypto and blockchain, 424. Um, tech ladies on Facebook, my favorite group, I'm gonna give them a plug, 22,676 of us, and global tech women, 11,944. I'm not counting all of the various Slack and meetup groups. We are there, we um, often just have kids and have to go home. Um, not that you men don't, you guys are awesome parents too, I'm sure, but um, I just feel like, it, there is a, there is a gender difference, <laughs> and um, and especially when we're pregnant and breastfeeding, it does oftentimes drive us home. Um, 
but we're here, come find us. Um, I also want to give a little plug out to um, the 200 women in blockchain and crypto on Medium. If you, uh, um, if you know a woman who's doing awesome things in crypto blockchain, um, add her, and that will make it easier for all of us to find the woman. Thank you. Cool. So I want to now drill into these two different fields um, where women are already present in blockchain and maybe uh, hopefully have more of an in. Um, so the first is advertising. And um, I'm curious how, um, you know, if we're seeing any overlap between blockchain and advertising and any women entering that space. Um, Susan, can you start us with that? So I think in advertising overall, I think often people talk about there's a lot of women in advertising, but when you narrow it down further to ad tech specifically, that drops off considerably. You have a lot of women in sales and client services, but not as many women representing the technology. I've been in, you know, speaking, speaking at a number of conferences over the years on more technology or yield-focused topics, and I'm often the only woman at the conference or often you know, speaking at all the whole day, and it's, it's alarming. Um, so I think that more women, just like they do in ad tech, you know, we have to find a way to, to have stronger voices. And what are the applications of blockchain to advertising? For anyone in the audience who might not know, what are some of the possibilities for, like you were mentioning, reducing fraud? What's the promise there? So um, from my perspective, one of the biggest issues in all of the uh, technologies today trying to combat fraud is that there's a lot of reliance on third-party verification. Very, nobody's yet really, with the exception of ads.txt, um, but even still there's so many transactions that still aren't following that protocol. Nobody's verifying that an impression actually existed with the publisher. There's no way to match up from not just a fraud perspective, but also reconciliation and billing perspectives, that an impression delivered of a certain type of a certain size in a specific location, that is what somebody bought and paid for. There's no good way to really track that from beginning to end. And I think there's tremendous opportunity for blockchain to do a better job of managing that record. I know there are transactional concerns in terms of speed and amount of processing, but I think there are probably points at which certain elements of the transaction could be recorded and reconciled later that could still provide tremendous benefit and, and not be you know, beholden to the transactional load. Yeah, so you have over here advertising, which is pretty much a 50-50 split, I think, in terms of women and men, but once you get to the ad tech side, maybe you're losing some of the women who have potential there. Um, Samantha, can you walk us through retail and blockchain's um, applications potentially to retail? I think this is on. Okay, I think um, there's there's a mind-numbingly wild array of uh, blockchain applications for retail. I'm just gonna hit on a few, um, we'll keep it short. Um, number one that you're all hearing about um, in retailers like Unilever, Alibaba um, are invested in uh, supply chain transparency. We're talking about provenance. Um, I'm going to go light on this because I know you guys are all pretty familiar. But um, tracking, uh, giving an item a blockchain birthday at point of origin. You can imagine it like a baby book. We're starting on this baby theme here. Um, you're, you're born, your mom takes a photo and sticks your birth certificate into this book. And as you get older and you have milestones, more photos go in the book um, and more, uh, more little uh, Blurbs and she decorates it, and as you at, at the end, you have a whole record of, of your child from you know birth to uh, to college. So provenance. Um, number two, um, I think we're all hearing a lot about um, smart contracts. Um, you can think of smart contracts like an if-then statement. Honestly, keeps it very simple. Um, uh, and 
um, my favorite is uh, consumer identity. Um, I think the most important um, application for blockchain for retail is that um, in the future you're all going to have um, your blockchain self-sovereign identity. Um, this is going to include your health records, your work records, school records, um, and records of commerce. And, um, and you're going to be able to put in two things into your identity, your uh, innate attributes, like your blood type or your shoe size, and your behavioral attributes. And that's something like how often you return a shirt online, um, uh, or even something like your cloud score. And um, I think that is going to be fascinating to watch as, uh, as consumers wield and monetize or potentially choose to protect aspects of their identity. So you have these two industries in, in retail where you have a lot of female buyers, a lot of female purchasers who could use technology uh, that could be based on blockchain to get better results from their retailers, and of course there's a quid pro quo there. And then you have advertising um, where you have a pretty good split between women and men in the ad space, but maybe if you were on the tech side, what needs to be done to, um, to encourage more women to go into blockchain-focused projects, do you think? Do you want to um, start, Yasmin? Uh, yeah, so I think there's two main things. One is getting more women into engineering. Um, that's just hugely the number one. So a way that we're helping is hosting hackathons, making connections with universities to get interns at, you know, there's loads of ICOs that have raised 20 million to 100 million all-men teams. So like going to universities, making those bridges, getting those women in and getting them onto the teams is what we're working on, um, as well as culture. So a lot of women I know just like don't want to go to the conferences because they feel really bro-y. So just making sure that there are women speakers. Something I'm doing in um, the Bahamas tomorrow is um, at Polycon, which is a, a lot of guys are going, but I'm doing a women breakout session so I can find any of the women that are there that are, you know, they're obviously smart enough to find this conference, go there, and just support them. So, um, yeah, so culture and, and engineering is, I think. Alana, do you have anything else that you think would get more women into this sphere? So, when I met Susan, I think for the third time, we were, I think you were at Hearst at that point. And we had a, a moment where we talked about something that, to me, so I grew up kind of a script kitty. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but I was a Unix engineer. So um, that, that culture is very closed, and in advertising especially, you don't really find your own people uh, in an advertising sales meeting. Uh, but I, you made a mention of something. I think it was Cults of a Dead Cow. It was something like that. 2600, there we go. Um, and we kind of bonded over the table. I was like, oh. Person. Those are hacking groups, by the way. So for those who don't know what that is, I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So I think what we need to do is foster education, foster what you're doing, um, and we're doing this here, but create supportive groups and also understand the limitations, right? So as an example, I got an invitation to an event at Google, and they offered me childcare. I was like, what? Oh, okay. So like from now on. Um, we have to make sure, at least from my perspective, oh, so we want to have speakers come and speak. What are the limitations they're going to have? Be it childcare, be it my mother's room, uh, be it whatever. Um, you're welcome. But we have to be sensitive to those things. Sure. And the other question I wanted to ask you, Alana, was how about how easy is it or hard to make a transition from one sphere, say if you're in advertising but you don't have much experience with the tech side and you want to get into blockchain, what are some like pieces of advice that you might have for someone who wants to make that shift? So one, go to the conferences, listen to what's being talked about and what are the hot topics. 
Uh, I think also, from my perspective, well, the way I did it is I, am, I do come from the engineering side, so I kind of approached it like an open source project. I'm like, what is going on? What are they building? And how can I get involved, at least from a thought leadership perspective, to start? Maybe even contributing down the road. Um, but it depends on where you're coming from. The sales side, you go to the conference as you network. Engineers, open source. So I think we should put together an engagement model of where you're coming from and then how does it tie into the blockchain universe. Is there anything else anyone wants to add on that point that if you want to transition from one, you know, sphere into blockchain or tech, how you might see it happening? I mean, so I came from healthcare. I was immunology, epidemiology at Berkeley, worked in clinical trials with the FDA for many years um, before I got into crypto. And the my bridge that I did was I went into VC first. So I was doing due diligence on healthcare startups, and I started seeing a lot of healthcare startups that were claiming to use this thing called blockchain. And um, so then I dove deeper. So I mean, I think if you start with what you like studied in undergrad, that you're a specialist with, move maybe in venture first, that could be one way, since there's a lot more companies and people doing that, then it's kind of easier to shift into blockchain and crypto after that. Sure. Um, anything else from anyone else on that point? Um, how about, so do you have any observations um, from, um, maybe Samantha, you can start us with this, from running your own business and getting it, you know, going from the ground up. Any observations or tips for people who might be trying to do a similar thing or might have a great idea but they don't know how to, you know, launch it off the ground? Sure. Um, I think uh, everything comes down to research and hard work. But um, I think with blockchain, uh, to your earlier question a little bit, um, the way that I learned, I read all the white papers. Um, I ignored the news and I just delved right into the actual science of it. And that's kind of what you were saying too. Um, and if you're not a scientist or if you're not heavily technical, find a friend um, and ask questions. Um. Sure. And um, so Susan, when you're vetting some of these ideas, particularly in blockchain, um, for the ad tech space, are there things that you look for um, that you know differentiate a, a better company from you know maybe one that you wouldn't want to be working with? Um, a number of things. I mean, as the New York Times, we get pitched by just about everybody. People want to have the New York Times listed as a client, so we're often one of the first people really go after because we provide a lot of legitimacy. So it's especially important for us to vet very carefully, actually, because we don't want to sort of inadvertently lend our name and credibility to something that may not be, you know, totally baked, which is a lot of these companies. I, I, what we do, we do very thorough technical evaluations. Um, we, from a security perspective, um, you know, First of all, because um, we're not going to let any code on our site that we haven't thoroughly vetted, but also just doesn't make sense with what we know about the ecosystem and how it works. Some of the things that come in, and the previous panel mentioned this, oh, let's just do a test. We're not going to just do that. Um, you have to tell us a little bit more about how it's going to work. It has to make common sense. Some of these things, they don't pass the smell test. And they have to do that at a bare minimum, or we're not going to even go forward. And if you can't, explain some fundamentals about how it's going to work and how it works within the way things currently operate because you know maybe it's a good idea but you would have to you know involve significant overhaul of the rest of the ecosystem that's not a practical application and not one that the New York Times is going to sign on to. Right so people should be thinking about you know the company that they're pitching basically. Yeah. Um, and Yasmin is there anything that you've learned from investing in women-led companies? Um, any you know either red flags or things that you really look for um, when you're deciding to make an investment? Yeah, so um, most of the companies I've invested in have actually been men-led companies. I've 
we've only had like one. Um, so we're desperately looking. Right now it's a matter of training them up first. I think I think we have a few years of training up engineers um, before they can lead ICOs. But um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these teams tend to lie about who their advisors are for some reason. Um, my friend Nico has been listed on like 20 ICOs that he wasn't advising. Um, so you really have to go check with the advisors. Ideally, you're in the community. Um, our advisors for Block Society are, one is um, Joey Krug, who founded Augur, which was the very first ICO on Ethereum. He also heads up three hedge funds at Pantera. Um, we also have um, Charles, also from Pantera, who was MIT. So like, you need to have these people that have been in the space for a long time, you know, vetting the other advisors. Um, and then go to the advisors and say, are you advising this company? If they're advising and they're not investing, again, big red flag, um, where they paid to be an advisor. Um, we also look to see if companies say they're going to pay Binance to get listed on an exchange. It's a pretty red flag if they're kind of bribing people. Um, so that's at, at first, that's something I didn't know, that um, you weren't supposed to do that. So just sort of looking, seeing trends. Um, talking to people that are more experienced than you. There's a lot of other red flags, but I don't know how much time we have. Yeah. I, I just heard this story today about ex-regulators moving to like advise crypto companies, which is a big thing, but I didn't know that you would find some like companies that list someone as an advisor who's not advising the company. That is fascinating. Um, so, uh, Samantha, one thing I wanted to ask you is, or maybe this is a question for everyone. Are there any encouraging signs that you're seeing? Um, any um, signs of like growing diversity? Um, I know you mentioned a few earlier. Is there anything else that's um, encouraging you that this could be a more diverse uh, industry eventually? Yeah, um, I'm gonna give a plug to my advisor. Um, my advisor, for real, is um, <laughs> is a guy named Brian Belfort um, here at Hyperledger. And um, I've noticed what, when he speaks on panels, he often um, brings a colleague that's equally impressive, um, a female colleague. And I think that's a nice thing for, for men who are asked to speak. Um, recommend a lady friend who's equally qualified, who's amazing. Um, and I, I think another trend that I see is, uh, is women um, giving other women layups. Like, Alana invited me to this panel. Um, Sometimes there's synergy with companies where your company can work with somebody else's company. Um, try to make those connections. Any other, you know, uh, things anyone wants to add to that point? Encouraging signs? Oh, I have one more. I'm so sorry. Yeah, um, there was a recent sub-by panel that um, that had a really negative um, title. <laughs> um, it was a uh, something like a. Don't sweat the tech. Mom can do blockchain too, or like teaching mom how to do blockchain and. You know, it's, it was supposed to be tongue in cheek, but in actuality, it was highly offensive. So a lot of women got together, and and, um, and we we asked the speaker to change it. He didn't. We all got together and said, you know what, we're going to change it. So we went to the press, um, and people at TechCrunch and Mashable, especially, um, took up the cause, and um, and we got the title changed. Spread some awareness. Oh, I, I guess I have something positive yeah. to say. So I think that culturally, there's a shift, and there's every um, man that I've pretty much talked to has been really open to doing partnerships with us. There hasn't been one that's like, no, we don't really want to do that. So um, just so much positive feedback. And to that, if there's any um, people here that want to have partnerships with women in blockchain, feel free to find me um, after this. And um, we'd love to find a way to integrate more women into your company. Yeah, the network effect definitely helps. The last thing I want to ask before we open it up for questions is, 
there's a lot of hype around blockchain, but things can move a little bit slowly, and sometimes it's hard to separate the hype from what's really possible. So I wonder if each of you could touch on, in your industry, how have you seen those two uh, you know, opposing forces interact? Um, and how, how do you try to navigate what's hype and what's reality? Um, do you want to start us, Alana? Sure. Um, so, in my newbie state in this industry, I have noticed a couple of things. One, um, there's a difference between creating a token and ICOing or T. So, if you have a utility token, you have a TGE, a token generation event. If you have a security, usually it's an ICO, right? That's how we're defining things, at least in our world. Um, I have noticed in the advertising world specifically, because I'm watching that more closely, there are companies coming in to do fundraising. Right, and that's it. They're trying to, we call it, I, I won't say they're trying to do this, but there's a pump and dump notion. People raise money and then dump their shares or tokens. Yeah. So, you know, I'm noticing a trend in our world where there are players coming up that are trying to raise money and with, with no product. That's a red flag, right? If they don't have anything already, if they don't really have a spec to show you even, and they're just raising an ICO, I won't say for how much, because it'll give the, give the person people away. It's a red flag, right? So I think that's kind of number one. For sure. Yeah. And as regulation evolves, hopefully they'll catch up with some of those ICs. Wyoming. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, Samantha, any uh, hype versus reality? Yeah, I see a lot of supply chain stuff in the retail world. Um, supply chain is, is it's possible to track provenance of an item, but only if your item is, a, is one item. So for example, diamonds. Um, you have the weight, and it's one object, um, so you can track it from here to there. Um, but clothing, for example, is hugely problematic. Clothing comes with like collars and buttons, and one sewn on one factory and one sewn on another. So um, it's when people talk about like corporate social responsibility and um, and and tracking and workers' rights um, in the clothing industry, I don't think blockchain is our solution. Um, so I'd say that's more hype. Um, Another thing that, uh, I, I, um, other than our company, I don't think there's anyone doing a self-sovereign identity solution. Um, I, and I very much agree with you. If, you. if you're interested in the company, ask to see their product. Like, show me how it works. I want to see it in action. Susan, how about as it uh, pertains to advertising? So for us, um, again, a lot of times people come to us with things that are still relatively nascent because they want to have the New York Times listed as a client. Um, but one of the things we really look for is what other publishers are working with you? What have they done? And then actually talking to that publisher because just, you know, less like advisors are listed, oftentimes we find our you know, logo on websites, you know, they're working with us or, you know, selling our inventory and we're like, no. So a lot of it is just, you know, if you say you have a product, I want to talk to somebody that I trust that can tell me that it works. And that's probably the most important thing. Sure. Um, and Yasmin, of course we spoke about the advisors. Anything else? Um, any other red flags or hype versus reality? Yeah, I mean, the Telegram ICO was a lot of hype. Um, it's, I think sometimes people look to a big company and they think like, Kodak is doing an ICO, that must be great. Telegram is doing an ICO. But, and we have people coming to us like, we'll give you 200 grand just to get us an allocation of the Telegram ICO. And it's like, might not be the best investment. I mean, like the amount that they raised versus now what they're going to have to come out with, it's just honestly probably wasn't a good investment for people that went in on that. But so I think just because you think something is a, a good company in the past or they have a big name, it doesn't mean that blockchain or crypto or that their ICO is going to be the best investment. Um, 
it might be some small company you've never heard of um, that's doing something amazing like Zero X, where a decentralized exchange, you know, you've never heard of it. Um, yeah, it occurs to me that sometimes it just feels like people are proposing these ideas that could be done on a centralized, you know, database of some kind that you don't need a blockchain for. But it's like throw the word blockchain on there, and then people will get interested. Um, any questions from our audience? Yes. Uh, so uh, my name is Alexandra Levin Kramer. I'm a blockchain attorney. I'm also the chief diversity officer for the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance. And I'm also the president of the International Blockchain Real Estate Association, and I'm a founder of, of women's uh, blockchain startup called Women.io, which is dedicated to diversity in the economy. Um, so I just wanted to actually give some more uh, positive um, information of, of the fact that uh, we're creating a diversity speaker bureau. So there's no excuse anymore why so and so couldn't find enough women or others to speak at their forty conference in Miami, for example. Um, <laughs> we are also, as a result of that conference, we are actually creating our own conference uh, where we will have all women speakers. Hopefully, it'll be during the week of consensus 2018 in May. Thank you. Um, and my question is, um, how are you actually? Um, we mentioned education. I think uh, I went to Barnard undergrad, so shout out for women's schools. But how are you actually bringing in? or we're trying to bring in kind of a younger generation that is also, that um, has this kind of burden of, well, I don't have a degree in blockchain or a PhD in blockchain, so I, I you know, won't raise my hand, as, as you said. Um, I, I think for, from my experience, it's been really important to bring women along, younger women along with me, uh, wherever I've landed, but is that something that you're focused on as well? For me, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why we're doing hackathons. I mean, invite high school girls to our hackathons. You can come, you can learn. Um, that's the, the one way we're focusing on right now. So, I always look for promising individuals, right? Men and women, but women, uh, for me, it's a special project, right? Because I, I feel like I had great mentors coming up in the world. And I hire based on very basic tenants. Is this person intelligent or not? Right. I hired my nanny to, I won't say which job and who she, who she, or who she is because she's in the industry. Um, she now runs a very large division of a company in the advertising space. She was you know, a wonderful college graduate, had no experience whatsoever in advertising or engineering, and now she's a technical person uh, in advertising and now going into blockchain. So it depends, you have to be looking, always looking for talent. That's my, my mantra, at least. Yeah, in the back. Oh, did, did you want to add? I think, just to second that, I think it's really about giving people a chance. You know, I've, I've had opportunities to hire other women, you know, that I actually, one woman I knew from a mom's group who needed to go back to work. There's a lot of women re-entering the workforce, and that's a, a really tremendous untapped pool of women. There's some brilliant women, you know, Ivy League educated, incredible experience who just you know, who are out there but don't have current resumes because they've you know, been home being moms. And that's a great thing because that's really hard work. Um, and so I think some of it's just being open to seeking out people who don't fit the traditional kind of, you know, hiring process. That's a really good point. If you're smart and enterprising, you could find a way. Oh yeah, and we'll give them crypto. We'll give high school girls like a little bit of an Ethereum because, you know, then you go on, what's Coinbase? Make a Coinbase account. What's Binance? If you have it, then you're sort of more encouraged to figure it out. So I would give that as a tip. Like if you know some younger girls, give them a little bit of Bitcoin. It's a good idea. Yes, in the back. 
Yeah, so the, the comment about child care. So my wife actually is a uh, you know, business graduate and graduated summa cum laude, and she's, like, she's amazing. And one of the challenges that we have, we have a, a young daughter, and the idea about um, child care at conferences or things like that, because I would be absolutely supportive. If, if there was child care here, for example, then she might have been able to come because I needed to come and she could come and I would be as supportive as possible to, you know, if that was an option, to have her come to more things. And so I don't know if I'm the only, I'm sure I'm not actually the only person who would think this way. And so I think one of the challenges might be just logistics, you know, and helping to make those easier so that if there might be one person who um, has more earning power between two people that need to work together and figure things out, enabling them to make decisions that could allow both people really to launch more easily could really help. Just who else? I mean, I, so for me, when I got that invite from Google, Susan, raise your hand, it came from your team. There's Susan. Um, I was I was floored. I was like, oh, you're offering me childcare? Like, I can go to this because, in, in, you know, regardless of where we are, I can bring those two little monsters, and it will be good. Um, take our child. Right. <laughs> take my child, please. Um, I mean, who else in the room agrees? Like, is that? I mean, I, I think that in, in that invitation changed my perspective, right? So when I invited the women's panel to this event, I knew Susan had just had a baby, right? And I'm like, oh, what would Susan need to come to this event? And because of that invite, so thank you, Susan, other Susan, two Susans. Um, so yeah, no, I think, I think thinking that way, enabling talent to come, what do they need? Men and women, like different things sometimes, or not, right? Men need childcare too, right? Um, asking those questions to everyone. So I put up a Facebook post and it said, super excited about this invitation, and someone said, what about men? I'm like, agree, it should go to everyone. If someone is offered childcare, it should be offered, offered to both, right? I, I totally agree. Any other questions before we wrap up? Okay, great, thanks so much, guys. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And that was Woman in Blockchain from the Blockchain Explorer event presented by MetaX. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Talks podcast. My name is Sergio Marrero, your host and co-founder of Rebel Method. If you like the episode, please do comment and share. A special thank you to Newbie Music for the track. A link to the track is also in the podcast notes. Please join us next time to hear more from Blockchain Talks and hear the latest on blockchain innovation.